Coming in hot, 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 Lisa shares her financial tips and strategies to build wealth, have fun with finances, and be debt-free without having a restrictive budget. From bankrupt to millionaire, Lisa knows what it's like to feel as if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Her unconventional money multiplier system is the very wealth protocol that enabled her to retire two and a half years early, pay down $100,000 of debt in six months, and move to her dream home at the beach. Hey, 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 welcome to this episode of I Date Money and Money Talks. I'm your host, Lisa Drennan, and today we have the amazing Alexis Neve, a portrait photographer with a passion for empowerment, photography, and helping women-led brands tell their stories through beautiful and authentic brand values, visuals, not values, visuals. She is also the host of the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast and writes witchy musings on Substack, where she talks about witchcraft as a tool for empowerment. When not wandering the streets of London or planning her move to Japan, she can be found obsessing with Hayakoi. I'm not sure if I said that right, but I know what that is. Yeah, it's a game. <laughs> it's a game? Yeah. What kind of a game is it? Uh, so it's a historical visual novel with a romance element. So you're basically romancing samurai. Oh, I like that. Interesting. So, well, tell us about younger Alexis. What were you, what was your earliest childhood memory you have? What was the very first time that you met money? Oh, it's a difficult one to think because I so kind of traumatic um, past with money. So I'm kind of like my childhood memory, so few. But I can remember, and it's a bit sad that I, that's the first thing that comes to mind. When I was little, my parents were always arguing about money. And when I was about 10, my father lost a great deal in bought a new car outright, got stolen and other stuff all happened at the same time. And that's when everything went downhill. My grandparents stepped in and it wasn't without any kind of strings attached. And then that's when all of the arguments and I have a little brother and that's like seeing him cry and shouting, can you stop when my parents were having a screaming match over bills that couldn't be paid? It's maybe not the first because I was 10 at that time, but it's like the strongest mm-hmm. memory. I, I like that memory. The It's so amazing how our younger self perceives money. When you think of money as a person, what's your perception of money? It's like an abusive relative that you don't really want to get and see uh, Christmas because they're going to ask you questions that you don't want to answer and they're going to judge you for how you handle the fact that you haven't spoken to them for (laughs) the past year or so since the Christmas before. It's yeah, a complicated relationship. A very complicated relationship. So I haven't had anyone on the show that has this perspective. So I'm really interested to dive in deeper and you said you're an open book. So yeah, (laughs) and then you might, you might talk too much. So, you know, open up. This, this, ain't this. It, would you consider this frustration with money, like this? About what? How would you describe it? Like a sense of abandonment. Money was never there for you. Like, tell us more about yeah, that. That sounds about right. But also, like, not sure if it's frustration. The fact like not being there resonates a bit more. And just with like negative in the sense that it's inescapable in the way that like your relatives are sometimes hard to escape unless you go completely no contact and you're related to them so they're important in a way to your conception of who you are 
mm-hmm. but at the same time oh I'm not sure what word I would use because frustration doesn't really cover it but that kind of fits it just doesn't seem like it can fit like a square in a circle you're trying to and you're striving and you see that they are the problem mm-hmm. but you can't escape it mm-hmm. that's not really an energy that I like having had right and as you evolved from that relationship of feeling you know like you're almost entrapped right mm-hmm. you, know, you couldn't escape it so that reminds me of you know being in an imprisonment somehow or being chained and you know one of my clients actually describes it as being a bird in a cage and there's all kinds of doors but none of them are opened and there's a fear of opening the door mm. so how did you get your relationship with money to the next level how did you change it that so is that- an interesting point that you make because the first thing that came to mind when you started the question was freedom mm-hmm. it was shifting the focus from money as a thing to money as a means to an end and the end being freedom mm-hmm. so that reframes it in a more positive way so obviously I was raised Catholic Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of messaging around how wealth is bad Mm -hmm. and how suffering is a good thing for the purpose of ending up in heaven so that creates a really difficult position to be in because obviously money is how the world goes around and if you want to do good in the world you actually need money so I remember when I was about that age and we had missionaries coming to school and we were fundraising for them so I knew that money is something that you need. And of course, even for good things, not just to avoid your parents fighting each other. Mm-hmm. But it was still difficult to see it from enough of a distance that it wouldn't be such an energy of hustling and struggling for it. So that's shifted when I shifted the focus on the goals of what money allows you to have mm-hmm. rather than needing money at the same time. It's kind of having the same energy of freedom, whatever the amount in the bank account is. Mm -hmm. And I always like to say numbers don't matter. Money doesn't want to be a number. Money wants to be crushed on. And what we do with our money is so important and how we respect money and realize that, yes, money does make the money. Money does make the world go round because we all need it in some shape or form to receive what we need just to survive. You know, we think of our needs and our wants, but a lot of times we lead with our wants, the desires. And when those desires aren't met, then we're like ticked off at money. And we're like, where have you been? Like, why aren't you around? And that's where the fights start. Right. And, you know, money and I, we didn't talk to each other for a while. I was total silent treatment and we get this anger because, and then we get to the point where, okay, truce, what can I do differently? to multiply money. How can I respect money? And you know, one of my favorite books to read is The Richest Man in Babylon. And it's all about our, our they refer to it as gold, but our gold having babies and them having grandbabies and great, great grandbabies. But it's it's such a simple method. Like, you know, when we're looking at our money and we're managing it, we're interacting with it and we're making decisions. Okay, money, what are we going to do today? You know, oh, we're going to get some water and we're going to pay our water bill. So fresh water is coming through the pipes in our house and, you know, we can enjoy dinner or whatever it is. We can take a nice hot shower. And when you start to think about it, personifying money, I've been doing this since I was a little girl, it gives you a different perspective, but those old memories that pop up, the things, the learned behaviors, you know, the yelling and the screaming, the parents fighting about money, you growing up with all the different money idioms, What was the most common one that you heard when you were growing up as your parents were fighting? The money doesn't grow on trees. (laughs) I think that must be the most common for everybody. But it's it's this idea that you have to walk really hard. Mm -hmm. And 
not even they never really enjoyed the money because there's always one thing over another. It's not like we were ever poor. We're like solidly middle class people that went to private school and had holidays every year. So it's not like I know the feeling of lack per Mm -hmm. se. And that's probably what makes me a lot more aware of just how the money in the bank account doesn't actually matter because I I could have millions and my mother would still feel that it's not enough because she carries that trauma and she carries the trauma of my grandfather used to gamble and he had a couple of businesses he ran into the ground with mismanagement. So she thinks of me having my own business and she just panics mm-hmm. because she just sees the money being squandered and not being sure when it's there. How are you going to pay your bills? Sometimes I'm like, I have absolutely no idea. And then something shows up out of nowhere. So I had to um, kind of embody a lot more tolerance to uncertainty in my lifetime, being a teenager when we had the 2008 crash and everything. Mm-hmm. The kind of world that they had with the safe job that you started when you were out of school and you stayed there for 30 plus years until they pay your pension never been an option so very few people in my generation have one and so I had to realize some people feel safer thinking oh I have a paycheck coming every week for sure because every month because I'm employed by someone else but you're offloading your trust that they know what they're doing with their business and that the business is going to stay afloat which I don't have because I was a teenager when businesses started falling apart in that crash Mm -hmm. I know if, if I'm in charge if I have that control I can pivot I can do whatever it takes within my abilities to to keep going, to mm-hmm. have money coming to me and attract it. If I offload that to someone else, I surrender that power to someone mm-hmm. else and they may not know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel safer. I don't know if that makes sense or a bit of a ramble, but... No, that's... no, it makes sense. So <laughs> I'm summarizing that to mean when you are employed by nine to five, you're entrusting that boss to run the company in a way where it's going to create profits where you can be guaranteed a paycheck. And depending on the entity that you work for, you know, depends on how, how solid that is. Right. I know a lot of companies that grow strong, they grow too fast. And within five years, they end up having to cut expenses and lay off because they just didn't allocate that time. Everybody wants something quick. They want it now. And I actually retired from the social security administration after 30 years of service. So a lot of people would come in and, you know, we did foreign pensions as well. And they would come in and they'd worked all their lives. They got the pension, but the pension income was so small, you know, and they'd be like, am I eligible for anything else? And sometimes people that were self-employed, their back end was such a hot mess that they didn't even have a pension. And it's like, what did you do with all this money that you earned? And I've been learning that entrepreneurs who are these business owners who hire these nine to fivers don't always have their money operation systems together. You know, and that's one of the things I specialize in is let's take a look at your business expenses and align it so that you're making a profit and you can keep this company running in a place where it's always in growth. It's not going to crash because you've taken all of your income and you applied it to all of your operating expenses, and then you have to lay off. You know, I'm thinking of a particular company that has to do with real estate right now, grew fast four years all over the nation, all over the United States. They opened up an office wow. and they just laid off a third of their staff. That's awful. Yeah. 
And if you think about like, you know, because with COVID, the market prices, it was the interest rates were astronomically low. And now as they've creeped up, that's changing business. Now, all of a sudden, nobody wants refinances. Nobody wants to buy houses because they're like, eh, maybe it's cheaper to rent. So like this energy, you know, creating this roller coaster, especially in the real estate world, it's it's just amazing. But when I was working at Social Security, I we always told the self-employed that five years to make your business solid, but you have to have a business plan. And I always think about the entrepreneurs that leave their nine to five or just start off in the entrepreneur world and they don't have a business plan. It's like, mm-hmm. well, how do you expect to make money and keep your profits going and all that if you don't have a plan in place? Well, we'll just figure it out. Like, no, you need a plan in place. So what was your pivotal moment when you were able to say like, yes, I need a plan in place. I want to break these generational curses. I want to break these idioms of this lack and this scarcity mindset and pivot towards abundance and creating limitless abundance, infinite abundance. I wonder if you had a sadder story yet, because that was when my marriage started to break down and I realized how everything's so shaky. It's the same thing as realizing that about business when I was a teenager and now realizing about anything in life. was It was at the time of lockdown, probably fairly common experience. And obviously, in a way, I'm lucky that it was not a bereavement. At the same time, it was someone who was emotionally abusive, so not really pleasant to go through that shift in personality at the same time. And some grief coming through and that's especially eye-opening for the money question because that was a point where I had this business I started in 2021 it's not my first business I had one before and I closed it and I built it in a specific way with a specific plan that now looking at pivoting because it it relate oh, relied too much on my showing up in a certain way and, and a certain definition of consistency because I'm not trying to suggest that consistency is a bad thing and you shouldn't have it. And then the personal stuff came through and it was so hard to have to handle having a business when you just wanted to be in a cocoon and handle your feelings. So that was like, mm, I have a business and then treating it like a nine to five. Mm. So I didn't have the long-term vision of having the money. Like I could say, well, if I want to take three months off, I'm covered. So I needed to show up the same way as I would need to show up for an employer for the paycheck to come through. Mm-hmm. So that was my eye-opening moment on needing to look at things a different way. Yeah. And having that different perspective, you know, everyone says as the nine to five, as we shift out of the nine to five and going into the entrepreneur world, there still needs to be some sort of a schedule. You need an order of operations in order to have a successful business to create IPAs, you know, that what action steps are you going to take? And one of the things we work on in my program is creating money bucket goals. You know, and if you think about the bucket list and creating these money buckets, like what are three goals that you want to hit in this month? And when we plan on that, we reverse engineer it and take create daily action steps to get us there so that we know money and money and we we're on the same page. Like we are in alignment, we are doing all the things. And this is what the goal is. And this is what we're going to do to, to make this happen and working through the frustration and the ups and downs and the like, wait, where's money? Money has been silent. I haven't seen money around. What's going on? Where have you been? Are you doing your part? So attracting this money and creating that reciprocal energy. Is that what you've been focusing on in your business? Yes. Yeah, so I've started looking into energetics and especially from a somatic perspective, given like the level of trauma that I already mentioned. And that was a big game changer 
because I never realized just how much I lived in my head Mm -hmm. and that I was always trying to figure things out and not trusting the things would work themselves out mm-hmm. and you talk about reverse engineering the goals and that's not what I'm talking about I think that that's a really good thing the kind of energy that I used to have when it came to money was that I needed to know the steps before I took any action mm-hmm. and then I started to play with energetics and realizing I just need to know the next step and then I will see what's there from that step and that if you just need one right person at the right time to buy from you to me and small amount of goods whatever it is that you, your service costs mm-hmm. so it's not that difficult you mm-hmm. can't down making six figures is not that difficult especially if you have like a high ticket offer mm-hmm. it just seems to be such a big deal because for a lot of people including from my background we're not used to play with that kind of sums it feels like what the people over there do, like the rich people with the big fences and the big businesses that have been established for three generations, that kind of old money. Everybody else who had old money from nobility, most of them lost it over all of the history of Europe. Not sure about how that translates in the US since relatively newer money anyway, since you're a newer country. But that's this us versus them kind of situation when it came to big money and for me realizing I was not at the level of my clients and having a lot of imposter syndrome around that and sort of kind of like I can't remember which um it probably was Sue Price I think um was the portrait master such a portrait photographer really established it's really great and I'm not sure if she was actually the person who said it that is not a bad thing if you are outpriced from your own business mm-hmm. and that was like oh wow that's such a shift in looking at things that I'm not meant to necessarily be the person serving myself. I can aspire to serve people who are at a different level so that they can provide like a ladder for me to reach them. Mm-hmm. I was like mind blowing. I've been giving myself permission to see that I could play at a higher league, even if I was coming from a lower one. Right. Yeah. We just, it's mindset, right? We take that action to set our mind to say, well, I'm doing this. I'm breaking the molds and I'm not going to be like the people in my family when it comes to finances. I'm going to, I'm going to create a legacy and do this beautiful thing. So you stepped into photography as your business. Yeah. And what, what made you mm. fall into photography? So that's something I had my entire life. You no, know, it's a bit of a cliche, but I had a little camera. My father was a photographer. So mm-hmm. if you go to my parents' house, there's a lot of photos of me as a baby and as a child. A little fewer of my brother. I always feel a bit guilty for it. But um, I used to do that up until I was born. And so I was a travel photographer. So it kind of like stopped and settled down in a different job to see me grow up. And then my brother, when, when he came along. And so I kept seeing all these photos around the house. So when I got old enough, like five, six, when I started primary school, got my little camera on school trips and kept buying way too much film, not getting a lot out of it. This is probably most waste money on developing them than anything that came out good. But eventually I learned as, as a teenager on his analog camera that I had not seen the light of day for five years at that point or more. So I've seen it just, yeah, more than five years. So that I would have been 15 or so. Then got my first DSLR when they first started coming out uh, as a teenager for my 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the story. Started doing street fashion photography for blogs. It was at the time that blogs started being a thing. So taking over the 
mainland press and, and everything, which then in turn kept publishing the photos in the magazines that would reach out and say, well, we are from this and this magazine. Can we show the photos from your fashion week? So, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. And then I left it for about 10 years, went to university, worked in marketing, and then came back during the pandemic as I realized I let go of my dream for no real reason. Mm-hmm. It was that. And that was, again, my parents having kind of like problems with money and having this idea you needed, like the full frame camera that at the time cost a fortune. It's still kind of more expensive than a crop sensor one. Not quite as expensive now than has been established digital for a decade, over a decade, two decades almost. Yeah, I got the first one in 2008. So yeah, almost two decades. And then I kind of like didn't have a support network. I didn't have any one I could use as a mentor, despite the fact I had been assisting on sets on a couple of times. Did um, a photo book and a Milan design week just by literally sending an email and say, can I come along? Mm-hmm. I look back now and I'm kind of like, you're so bold. Like, <laughs> same person. But yeah, that's that's how it happened. Kind of like all fell into place. I love that you're using your natural gifts and talents to build this beautiful business, this brand that you're creating and just offering something that you absolutely love to do and it brings you joy. Do you still hear your parents telling you, oh, you need to stop doing that business because you're not making enough money or? Not so much. So when the money started coming in, though I'm still kind of like fairly new because I started like 2001 and then kind of still the pandemic sort of making a slow start. So I'm not kind of like established, like bigger names have been around for long. It, it became, oh, but is there enough people that need that kind of thing? Oh. <laughs> so, so it's like now they can acknowledge that the money can come in, but how long can it come in for? Mm-hmm. And they're like, it, it's the generational thing. They don't know the online business industry with all of like the coaches. If I wanted to go down the adult industry, there's like OnlyFans models and all sorts of people that need personal branding photography and then that's not the only thing that I offer it so there's a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. it's a growing side especially with oh, so many businesses coming up and needing content and it's the content economy is getting bigger and bigger and brands needing user-generated content so for me it's a no-brainer that it's a growing industry but they just not able to see that yeah, it's it's amazing how parents like kind of walk with blinders on and all they can see is what they experienced and they want their children to no do it this way because this is the way it's always been. And it's, you know, I think this younger generation with no pensions, with no, you know, security in the in the work world, they create opportunities for themselves. And they when you know, when you have that mindset to say, this is going to work and I'm going to do a great job with it. And I like how you have that perspective of, well, there's plenty of money, but what if there's not enough people? (laughs) Plenty of people too, you know, reciprocal energy of giving and receiving and knowing that, you know, people who have the money, who want to expand and grow will connect with the right people. There's one thing we're not going to do is give ourselves our own photo shoot, right? I mean, I've (laughs) 
I do selfies all the time. They're not the same as a professional photo shoot. And, you know, when you're in different realms, you want to have those professional headshots and you want to have an alignment with your brand. So you can be known for that and speak for that. And there, it creates a feeling of, of security and empowerment and sovereignty all rolled up into one. And it just eludes confidence. Like when you see a brand photo versus a selfie or yeah. you know, your friends took your picture, you can just see the difference. And in just the way the artist is able to capture that moment to even get you at that moment, right. To like, you know, Oh, well, think this or whatever. I've done, I've done two professional brand shoots um, with the same photographer. And the second time I did it, I'd updated it right before I moved last um, June of 2022. And I look back at those photos and it was, I was not like in my prime compared to my first photo shoot. I was just absolutely in my, I was just loving it. But this particular photo shoot, it had rained, so we had to change locations. I had the pressure of moving, and I was just feeling uncomfortable in my skin that day. And But she was able to create beautiful pictures despite that. But when I look at those pictures, I'm like, I can't even believe I looked that good when I felt inside. I just felt like mm-hmm. it was like, I don't like rain, so <laughs> I don't mind rain here in Florida, but in Rochester, New York, rain is no fun. <laughs> yeah, I can sympathize with that. It's really similar to the rain. Yeah, rain. the constant cloud and the drizzle. Yeah, and the, the, the bite in the air, the chill in the air. So now that you're, you're a solopreneur? Yeah, I'd like to be able to bring some people in, mm-hmm. but that's not an immediate priority. Yeah, no, grow, grow small and, you know, expand as you know, and you'll listen to your intuition and all the tools that you have to allow that to happen when it, and you'll know when it's beautiful. What's your favorite money management system for your business? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure I have a specific system that, that I use. Oh, that's a trick question. <laughs> no, no trick question. I ask it to all my, well, most of my guests. <laughs> I, I know, it's just me not, not feeling like, um, I don't know. I think uh, I started and kind of kept it going with the second business with the idea that you really need to have a boundary between your money and the business money. And that mm-hmm. was a mistake I made at the time. And um, making sure that you have the money for the taxes and everything and always kind of keeping an, that buffer a bit higher than you actually need mm-hmm. and then paying yourself as if you are an employee, even when you don't have, um, which I believe it's an LCC for you in, in the US. It's a limited company in the UK. So that's a whole other area that you are actually an employee of the company. But even if you're like, we can be, I'm not sure if that's the same case in, in other uh, tax areas, you can be self-employed without owning a business strictly speaking by terms of the law but I still run it the same way mm-hmm. myself as an employee of the business and keeping that distance and it's something I do regardless of money for brand and everything it's still kind of looking as a separate entity so I even have like the best charts of the business as a separate thing so yeah yeah well that's beautiful it's so important to pay yourself first so I like to tell my clients um you need to pay yourself first because you are your business and keeping it separate is so important for tax purposes. You know, I, when I was a treasurer for not-for-profit entities, everything had to be annotated. I's dotted, T's crossed. You had to have this report. You had to pull it up just like that. And, you know, if you didn't have a systems in place to do that, 
you weren't able to quickly do it. And the woman I had taken over for had done anything, everything on pen and paper, like no, nothing was in the computer. So I had to transcribe everything to the computer system and, you know, make it electronic. And I was inundated with QuickBooks at that time. And now I think about using QuickBooks and I'm like, "Mm, I really like the Excel better because it's more forgiving. (laughs) but I like the way the report stuff. So I'm always interested to hear what other entrepreneurs are using for their backend operating systems. Yeah, I've been using Waves, but I'm Waves. not sure that's kind of going to keep it. I think there's an option. I do Bloom for all of the other systems and I think they might offer things about finances and they just haven't sat down and give it a proper look. Ah, I something, be something for yeah, something for you to look at. We want to we want to look at those numbers so we can have that knowledge and that power. So that's everything under one, like in one place and streamline mm-hmm. a lot compared yeah. to other different apps for different things. Yeah, optimizing those money management systems, the procedures, and all of that. Especially when you're, you know, a solopreneur, when you set it up as you grow, it becomes really easy for you just to pass it off and let your assistant do it or you know whoever so that it's all staying consistent and everything's in one place. You can pull it up and say, wow, this is awesome. These are my numbers. This is how much income I have. This is my you know, net profit. And I actually get to enjoy my money and have fun with my finances. So it's all about dating money and respecting money and saying, hey, money, come on, let's sit over here and talk, grab a cup of coffee and let's do this thing and let's multiply you. So that's awesome. What? So what you're, when you work with clients, do you work with clients online or is it all strictly in person? It's uh, in person. Well, obviously, mm-hmm. online is the process of getting to in person. I do in person photo shoots. I know there are people who do them through Zoom, and I find it fascinating. I have no idea if, if I'm good enough to be able to pull something like that off. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah. You're definitely good enough. You're just <laughs> playing around with. Yeah. So yeah. it's a new frontier for people to work with someone who is not there, there easily, you know. Yeah. Well, with the AI coming about, I, I know um, it's definitely something that's going to happen, you know, where you can utilize that technology. I'm not a tech girl. So, uh, and today I'm really brain fog with words. Like I, I, I know the word I want to say, but I can't form it, formulate it in my tongue. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, so, I had a migraine this overnight. So my brain is kind of be fried too. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I need to need to perk myself up a bit. But um, thinking about that, like the possibilities of, you know, making those connections. And I didn't realize brands could brand shoots could be over Zoom. So that's kind of cool. No, you probably have to have a good web camera for that. Or yeah, something. that's kind of like, I'm not sure how the They're technology, at- like the using Zoom part. I know my camera, like it's a part of me. I'm yeah. Not sure how that would translate to Zoom. Yeah, yeah that's sense. interesting. Something at some point. Yeah. Yeah, something you can explore explore maybe in the future. So if you are in London, right, or you're taking a trip there and you want to do a photo shoot, a brand shoot, you definitely audience can connect with Alexis. You can check the show notes to how to connect with her. And we didn't really touch base about your witchy stuff. What's all is that something that just you do as you're taking photos or is that a separate business with that? It's not so much a separate business as in kind of like ooh, passion project. I sort of kind of like decided to bring it under my personal brand because I'm not keen on hiding things. And in this day and age with so many people to choose from that kind of people, 
I want to connect and I want to work with uh, astrologers and spiritual entrepreneurs and musicians, artists, all kind of, it's not like would turn away different other types of clients, but mm-hmm. that's like the synergy that is there when you have things in common, especially since you were mentioning how you need to create the space for the client to forget that they're in front of a camera and to forget all of their problems for the time that you're on the shoot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to have something that makes people feel relaxed and like they're with a friend mm-hmm. rather than someone who's there to take photos of them. Yeah. That's why I decided to bring it in, but it's sort of kind of like its own little thing that I do because I'm really passionate about making sure that people feel empowered in themselves, in who they really are. And in that's one way of doing it, not the only one, but that's the one that I like and I like to share with others. Cool. Very awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing this space and energy with us. What words of wisdom would you like to share with the audience as we part? I'm not sure it sounds like a word of wisdom that you can put like on an Instagram post quote, but I think it always comes back to the body. You Mm -hmm. need to feel safe and your relationship with money needs to feel like that partner that makes you feel safe and relaxed and like you can really let go mm-hmm. yeah thank you I love that surrendering it's all about surrendering so well thank you again for being here Alexis and for those thank of you, you me. yeah and then for those of you who are listening um, if you'd like to connect with Alexa check the show notes to see how you can connect with her and ask her and if you're in London you can get a photo shoot if that's aligned with what you'd like to do um, and just realize like you know there's a lot of money stories that we have and our ancestors carry from generation to generation all kinds of things our beliefs the systems you know what we're exposed to forms our beliefs and if you're retaliating if you feel like in your body like something's not right and you're you're you're, you're being challenged by this why isn't money coming my way or why isn't this working look at those money idioms that you grew up with, look at your money beliefs. You know, do you have a scarcity or abundance mindset, especially if you're coming towards leaving your nine to five, going to um, be an entrepreneur, you really want to have a relationship with money in place, a money management system so that you can create this beautiful empire and leave this legacy and break the chains from your past that hold you back from claiming that sovereignty, from really having that security blanket that money provides for you. Because remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's what you do with it. Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to rate the show, give us some love. We would love your review. And remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's what you do with it. And some words of advice, pay yourself first. Are you ready to partner with money? Go check out the money dating game at idatemoney.com and choose your partner. We hope you always get the date you want.